0: You know, what I love about being in finance is that how critical it is to the business. I mean, as finance, um, you, are, you need to be a master of many, many different skills. You need to know the business well. You need to be compliant. And I do believe as an accountant, you need to hold the business accountable.
1: Welcome to our NZX podcast. Today, we are really looking forward to talking to Sky City's CFO, Julie Amy, about her journey to becoming a senior leader, including where it all started and the inspiration and motivation along the way. Welcome, Julie. How are you? Hi, good morning. Kia ora. Kia ora. Julie, you've had many fascinating leadership roles for organisations both in New Zealand and globally. Can you tell us more about your journey and what motivated you to join the finance industry?
0: Yeah, and no, thanks for the question, Sarah, and um, thanks to everyone who's listening. I'm hoping I can add a bit of value to your day. Um, so a b- little bit about me and how I ended up where I am. Um, actually, I am a New Zealander. I was a born and bred in Tikawiri, which is a very small town in the King Country um, I am a mum. I have um, two Kiwi kids who have uh, never lived in New Zealand until this year. Um, I'm married to Matt, who's also um, from New Zealand, a Hamilton boy who's a chef. And, and actually, he gave up his career when Sophia was born 13 years ago so that I could be, I could do what I do, which I'm really grateful for. I'm a finance professional, so I've been working in finance for just over 30 years, of which about 25 years is outside of New Zealand. Um, I'm a, I'm a traveller. I've actually been to 84 countries, um, but who's counting, I guess, on that one? Um, and I'm also a senior executive, so I am the Chief Financial Officer of Sky City. Um, I joined a year and a half ago, um, probably at one of the craziest times, but probably one of the best times for the organisation. Um, And when I think back about why I joined finance, I mean, I'm I'm hugely proud to work in finance. Um, I love the discipline. Um, When I decided to go um, to join finance, uh, I I have to say I'd like to think that I had something awe-inspiring that triggered me. But actually, I chose finance because I thought I'd make a lot of money at the time. And I had very limited options as well from where I was coming from. Um No one in my family had ever been to universities, and I actually was the bottom of my accounting class at school, and I'm incredibly stubborn, so I thought, no, I can do this. So I decided to do finance. Um also, it probably sums me up a little bit because where I'm not clear, maybe sometimes I'm not clear on what I want in life. I'm very clear on what I don't want. And I didn't want what I saw around me. So I thought I need to do something different. So so I chose finance. And um, since then, I've had great opportunities in many, many different finance skills and disciplines. So um, yeah, which sort of led me to where I am today.
2: It's an amazing background, very interesting. And um, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. You've had a lot of unique experience, worked for diverse companies. Were there any standout moments there that you can remember or experiences that kind of impacted you to want to stay in finance yeah. or want to get out of it or, yeah. or either or?
0: You know, what I love about being in finance is that how critical it is to the business. I mean, as finance, um, you are you need to be a master of many, many different skills. You need to know the business well. You need to be compliant. And I do believe as finance, you know, as an accountant, you need to hold the business accountable. You know, we are the voice of, of the investor, you know, the owners of the company, and we need to make sure that we're doing the right thing. Um, I also am a big believer that finance is independent. Um, you know, and when I worked for Royal Dutch Shell Group, we learned that the hard way. We finance reported into the business, and there was some serious misrepresentation with the Securities Exchange Commission, and actually Shell made the decision that finance would not report into the business, and it's not that we're a different organisation, it's just that they wanted an independent thinking through that. And I do believe that that is important for an organisation. So... So there, there were a lot of experiences that I've had through there. Um, I guess my epiphany when I was moving from um, being a chartered accountant, which is I started my career with Deloitte for me, was after I'd come back from an assignment in New York. And had, it was a fantastic assignment. I learned a lot while I was there for the six months. And I was talking to the finance dir- director, the partner at the time, and, and sharing my experience. And he said to me, "Jolie, did you enjoy it? Did you get everything you wanted out of it? And I said, yes, it was one of the best experiences I've had. And he said, well, thank goodness for that, because I've still got scars on my back from you nagging me to get that assignment, and I thought, "Ooh, wow!" And it made me realise that, yeah, I actually had—I'm so—I was so ambitious that I had actually made his life quite difficult, and probably people around me. And I thought that's not the person I want to be. So actually, what I—and it was—it was a gift. That feedback was a gift for me because I developed a lot of self-awareness, and I believe self-awareness is not so much about knowing your strengths and weaknesses whether you're an introvert or not it is about knowing the impact you have on other people and and being aware of that so I actually resigned then from being chartered accounting and I I traveled for a bit and I joined I went to London and joined the BBC in London and so for me, I've always been highly self aware of that and the impact I have on others. And I've also been very aware of when it's no longer working and I will be the first one to say, you know what, this isn't working, I've stepped back now. I'm not the right person for this role or I'm, you know, or I'm not happy, then I will be the first one to admit that and move on. And that's probably why I've moved a lot as well.
2: <laughs> uh, that's yeah, I mean that's a big moment when you have that yeah, awareness um, and it happens for different people at different times when they kind of hit some mm-hmm. Um, so there's the finance side of things, which mm-hmm. is re- really interesting. And then some of those experience you talked about um, leads to more of a leadership question. And you've seen a lot of different leadership styles and being a CFO mm. is a lot about being a leader as yeah. well. What, um, what have you seen or what do you think are some of the best traits to have? as a leader.
0: Yeah, thanks. That's a great question because I've seen a lot of different leaders around the world and I know we we sort of we might stereotype different leadership styles or different countries, but actually even within New Zealand, leadership is different. Um, so what I think is a very strong trait I mean it's, that self-awareness is absolutely important. You know that you know the impact you're having on people in the organization. Absolutely critical for, for strong engagement. Um, and in the back, and sort of what underlies that is authenticity. And for me, authenticity is, is really that your, your personal, your values, beliefs and your personal agenda is aligned with your business values, beliefs and personal agenda. So how you think and feel is aligned with what you say and do. And that is true authenticity. And, and people will forgive your weaknesses when they know that you are truly authentic from that point of view. Um, and when I look at it through to the leaders who, i've probably been more role models for me um i would say courage is the one standout thing the people that i really admire and that i try to emulate are the ones who have the courage to have the tough conversations maybe to pivot the organization you know to be a bit of a disruptor for the for the right reasons um and i think courage to survive in this world today you actually you need to have a great deal of courage so so that is a is a great trait yeah yeah that's
2: um <laughs> Quite interesting. I'm going to jump around here because something you said just mentioned or made me think of some working for a listed company is it quite different? And talk, talking about courage and mm. doing doing the right thing, and you go back to like the early two thousands and Enron, WorldCom, and yeah. all these pressures on finance people. Yeah. And th- how does it how does your behavior change or the things you think about mm. when you're working at a listed company versus a, a private company?
0: Yeah, it's it's a really good question because I, I when I look at it, I mean I've always had a lot of stakeholders. And internal stakeholders, external stakeholders—they're all important, but the what their agenda is is very different. And you do need to engage all of them very well. If your my core value is transparency, I'm actually a big believer in voluntary disclosure, which I know is not necessarily what you know some people believe in, but I do believe that in transparency. So that engagement is absolutely key because there's a trusted relationship that you have there. So when I think about public listed companies, I mean, you know, the thing I Probably get most concerned about is when we do, for example, our results announcement. I mean, you know, we are sharing a lot of information. Um, The CEO and I are speaking about the business from our perspective, but I'm very mindful that there's 200 people on the call, who all have their own perspectives and their own agendas and their own focus areas. And how do I make sure we're addressing all of those? And you're not going to do it in that one, you know, presentation or one phone call. So. The engagements you have during the year and after the results announcement, announcements are so important. And I think we have about 50 schedules after our results and we engage. The, the story is no different. You know, the company is the company, but we are drilling into what is important to that investor and what they are interested in. And, and some of them it's growth, it's yield, some of them it's ESG. It, it is very, very different. Others it, it can be cost. And so we need to make sure that they have what they need it's also an opportunity for them to get to know us and to trust us because, you know, there's not, we can't share everything to everyone. They, they do need to trust us. And so the closer you can get to that and the more they can see and understand who you are and, and what you stand for, I think the better it is. So, um
1: yeah, I agree with that. And that's one of the major reasons we try to do this podcast yeah. is because people really want to know who, who are leading these companies, yes. you know, what their values are, um, the direction that they're taking and, and their value set, really. Um, so it's great to hear you say that. And, um, you know, you've mentioned that you've had a lot of diverse experiences mm. in your career and um, opportunities to work in a lot of different places. As you've moved through that or even before, mm. you know, your career track started, Who have been your major role models and who do you really look up to
0: and who's sort of shaped the way that you operate in that way? Yeah, I've been so fortunate because of the nature of my experiences. I've crossed paths with so many people that I, you know, I I just feel so fortunate. So I don't tend to look at individuals as role models. I look more at behaviours and attributes as the role models that I see. And so I've worked, I mean, I do quite, I spent quite a bit of time with, um, uh, breast cancer support groups um, and I've spent a lot of time in, in business organisations um, and NGOs and so I see a lot of those different role models that people and the one trait I see through all of them is probably courage actually and, and how they step into really challenging environments and how they have um, the courage to, to know when to stop as well. You know, when you've made a mistake or you're in a hole, stop digging. I mean, I I think I see a lot of that. I've also seen a lot of leaders who aren't willing to do that and actually puts the whole organisation at risk as well. So I I would say it's probably more that there's a lot of those attributes and traits. Um, The diversity is absolutely key. I mean, diversity is so powerful. But it is incredibly hard to manage. I would say it's not easy and you need a really strong type of leader who can do that. And And I would say in many of my roles, when I was Chief Financial Officer for Shell in Turkey, you know, I had... Um, I was the only non-Turkish person. I had a team of about 250, all Turkish, and I had 11 direct reports. And they said to me, I remember my first meeting, they said, Julie, this was probably the least diverse team that you've had. And I looked at them and I said, you know, the only thing you guys have in common is that you're Turkish. I said, your backgrounds, your ages, your education, your beliefs are so different. I said, it is like herding cats, actually. And I realised that I'm the one that needs to change that. So I will say if I need to get one strong message out to my reports, I need to be prepared to do it 11 different ways so that I know I make sure that they understand that. So.
1: Mm, yeah, it's interesting tailoring the
0: message in different ways yeah. that different mm. people can receive it and then you can all work exactly. together. And that is diversity and that's why diversity is difficult because you need to realise that one message will be heard many different ways and you just need to be prepared for that. Mm, and very relevant when you're communicating to shareholders it's as well. It's exactly the same and if you really want to inspire and influence, you do need to get inside the heads of the people that you're talking to so you understand what would be a win-win outcome for you.
1: Mm. And you you just mentioned when you were answering that question before, you know, courage and challenging situations. it mm. um, be interesting to hear from you a little bit about, you know, particular challenges you've faced on your journey to becoming a senior leader and how you've dealt
0: with those and the things that you've learned. Oh, online. there's so many. I think we could do a whole podcast on that one. But, um <laughs> Maybe I'll talk a bit about my, my last 15, 13 of my last 15 years have been in the Middle East. So that is an environment that is very, very different, particularly for a woman. I mean, I was the only female board director in in that region. Um, you know, it's it's very male-dominated. Of course, it's very, um, you know, I was in Qatar, very Qatari-dominated. And I knew that I wasn't going to be invited to the meeting before the meeting because women are not invited to those meetings. I was fine with that, actually. Um And I knew that I needed to have very sharp, Elbows around the board table for to be listened to, and so you know that that is a challenge, but it's not insurmountable. I just you know I, I figured out how to get it to work, and I don't expect everyone else to necessarily adapt. We're not going to change a culture of a lifetime. Although I wanted to demonstrate actually that that culture that maybe you know is is not as black and white as it needs to be. And I got, you know, when I left the Middle East, some of the compliments I got from very senior Qatari officials and about my positioning and how I did it was actually, I feel, opened the door a little bit for that. I mean, I think in the Middle East, I love the culture. I really do miss the Middle East. It's very different. Um, I was there through a major, probably historic change for the Middle East. So I was there through Arab Spring. I was board director in Syria. I was in Syria when the Civil War started. I was pregnant with my son at the time. You know, I was in Egypt with I'm on a i am on was on a board there, the National Oil Company when the military coup happened. Um, I was in Turkey when the fighter the attempted coup happened. And so I look at it and go, Wow, well that's perspective. So when I look at the challenges that we're dealing with now, in at Sky City, but also in New Zealand, I think you know what? They're not. It's not a crisis. It's 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 business compared to me trying to eva- you know evacuate people, trying to get money in, closing down Iran, doing all of these things. And I and I saw a lot of suffering. So I thought, you know, when if we treat everything like a crisis, you'll just exhaust the organization. So perspective, absolutely key. Um, and maybe one of the hardest personal challenges was. You know, I wear an LGBTQ lanyard. I have a lot of friends and family in that community. If I wore this in the Middle East, I would be in jail. You know, I cannot show that. And that's where you start to encroach on your personal values. The company I worked for truly held these values. The environment, the country I lived in didn't, because it is Islamic. And I just thought, how do I remain authentic as a leader when I'm there and negotiating it? And... And I do believe that executive leaders now, it's not so much about you're there to make decisions, you're there to solve dilemmas. And dilemmas are very difficult because it's something you'll be judged on in the future and not something that's really clear today. And I think we spent, you know, the Middle East has taught me a lot around how to manage that, I would say.
2: Incredible experience. And not only just the different styles, but then being a woman in these different environments Mm -hmm. as well. I mean, what have you seen in terms of, how New Zealand is different in the, in the leadership styles that maybe New Zealanders have versus other parts of the world, things that are um, being done well here and, and, and not so well, or just how's how it different in New Zealand than it's what you've seen?
0: Yeah, when I went overseas and I started to join, I'm invited to join sort of women's career development programs and connects, and I would sit around these sessions with other senior women who would share experiences they'd had where they feel they were discriminated against as a woman, and What I struggled with is I'd I'd never experienced that. And I probably downplayed it a lot. And then I realised, you know, if I haven't, when you haven't experienced something yourself, you're never really going to understand it. And so coming from New Zealand, I never felt I had any of those, you know, those experiences. Although when I look around, I still see that the, the balance in gender is still not where it should be. I mean, you know, where we want it to be. I'm very proud of Sky City. I think we have one of the most diverse boards and senior executive team there. Um, but you need to sustain it, of course, as well. So, so I think we have a journey to you know an eye opening to see what is happening and, and you know stay connected to what's happening in the northern you know northern hemisphere and make sure that you know we aren't sort of closed off to those things as well. But being mindful again, like any type of discrimination or experience. Um, you know, if you've you've never experienced it yourself, even you can be empathetic towards it, you can learn about it, but you'll never truly know how it feels. And just being aware of that, I think is important.
2: Mm. And then in terms of uh, some of the business decisions you have to make as someone in New Zealand dealing with, you know, this part of the world versus things going on in North America and in the Middle East, are, are the underlying kind of things that you evaluate and, and, and the businesses and you make this the same or are they impacted by the surrounding more?
0: Yeah I, you know it's to me it's it's no different. Yeah. I think what we need to maybe in Australasia be a bit more aware of is the impact of the environment. So you're not in a bubble. so when you make decisions you make them knowing what is happening in the environment around you. So if we're making decisions here and not realizing that in the Americas there's this recession, And if we, you know, now it may not hit us hard, but if you make a decision not even acknowledging that, then there is a, you know, you are missing something. You will miss something. You will be blindsided by something. So I, so for me, I've always, I always look outside in. I look at, you know, the regulatory environment. I look at the, you know, economic environment and then how people are progressing and what people want, what our customers want. And then we, and then we play that inside the company. It's no good having one of, you know, the best, entertainment precincts in New Zealand and not listening to the customer because it's only good because it's actually giving the customer what they want as well.
1: Mm. Um, so let's pivot a little bit to talking about Sky City specifically. Mm. You mentioned at the start of the show that you joined about a year ago. Um, clearly a very interesting time to start with all of the things that we've been through with COVID. Uh what do you enjoy most about working at Sky City?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I, I really enjoy working in Sky City. I have to say, I, I enjoy every place I work because that's probably that's what I'm there for and I really find that. I mean, in Sky City, it is, it's so good to be able to offer something to be proud of for the customer and to see people really enjoying what they do. So I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that vibrancy that we have there. Um, I actually, you know... <laughs> Not everyone will agree with him, but I actually enjoy the scrutiny we get, you know, enjoys uh, pushing it a little bit, but, but I believe it is essential. For us to have that kind of scrutiny. I mean, I've worked in oil and gas, fossil fuels. I now work in a casino. You know, there's going to be there's going to be scrutiny. They are sensitive topics, but I also believe I'm so proud of Sky City and what they do. I had seriously underestimated how much we do um, to keep customers safe from you know from crime, from addictions, from other things, (sighs) and we have dedicated people. And you know, at Sky City, I really feel like we're a team of nearly 4,000 people who all take that seriously, regardless of where you sit. And I knew that was the values of the organization. I did a lot of due diligence on the organization, but I hadn't appreciated how deep it went. And uh, and and one of the things you know we talk about is how do we get others to see that as well? That you can have um profits, profits with purpose. And I and I truly believe that. And that's why also in oil and gas, and people say to me, Why would you work in fossil fuels? You know, you're pillaging the earth. And I say, well, If anyone's going to do it, I want to work with an ethically sound company that's going to, going to do it. Otherwise, there will be rogues in there who won't do it this way. And so I, I feel like I need to be part of the solution and and being in the company is a great way to be part of the solution and to make sure that we are doing the right thing and you are holding up the mirror inside.
1: Yeah, that's awesome to
0: hear. And, um, you
1: know, that you're embracing that regulation and trying to do it in the safest way possible and yeah. really help people is, yep. is great. Yep. And, um, I mean, we're at a bit of an inflection point now. Mm. We've got, uh, you know, international visitors coming back into mm. the country, which is awesome for everyone. Mm. How, in that context, is Sky City, you know, achieving um, its goals and becoming, you know, an absolute leader in
0: terms of entertainment, hospitality mm. Mm. and gaming? That's great. And actually one thing we've learned which one thing that COVID has really taught us probably is that it's domestic tourism is so important. You know, when we were closed, of course, it was hugely impactful, but being open and having, you know, seeing the domestic tourists. And, and so, you know, we look at it and go, well, we are largely, we are a really big domestic. We are so valuable to New Zealand. And it's it's similar with the convention centre that we're building. You know, we can say, well, that's international conventions, but it will be hugely valuable for domestic as well. And so, we you know, we've had a lot of experience with international visitors coming in and to our experiences um for the Sky Tower and, and the other non-gaming parts of our business. And and we are ready for that. We are so looking forward to it. Uh, we're very excited to see, you know, the cruise ships come back as well. And that is it is key for us. And and across, you know, in Adelaide as well, very similar. Um we've got a beautiful property there that is just waiting for the international tourists. We get a lot of domestic Australian state people through. So so we are definitely ready for that. Mm. And um, and it's looking really good around the precinct. We just need to get the people through it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting time to see yeah, things become mm-hmm. more vibrant again. Mm-hmm. And, and I do agree with you that, you know, domestic tourism is a really key mm-hmm. component of the whole country's economy. Um, yep. Yep. And our favourite thing at Sky City is those are uh, the little donuts and the coffee that they make at depot
0: <laughs> in the mornings. <laughs> <It was> fantastic. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. we're big fans of that. Well, it was interesting. One of the dilemmas we had with uh, people working from home and trying to get people back, can I say it's interesting because we need people in our precinct to make it vibrant but if the office buildings aren't full then you know we're, we're part of the actually if our office building isn't full we're part of the problem as well so we need to get people back and just you know it's even if they're not visiting us just being around the area it just gives a really different vibe so so we're really um you know happy to see that the stimulation that actually the, the regional councils and um, Auckland City Council and, and in Adelaide as well, they're doing to get people back in. So.
1: Mm. Oh, it's very good to hear. Um, last but not least, before we head over to the quick fire round, mm-hmm. what makes you excited for Sky City in the next five to ten years?
0: You know, what I have enjoyed about the last uh, year and a half of Sky City is the ability of the company to reflect and pivot. So some of the changes we had to do, you know, will be sustained. Uh, we've learnt a lot about the business and there's so many opportunities as we look through digitalization. So we are very, you know, heavily land-based, but of course moving digital, which is actually where you'll see generations coming, opportunities through that, opportunities to really, really get the value out of the assets. You know, we've spent a lot on assets, so, you know, getting the value back. And so I think also following the customer. And thinking about what does the future customer look like and what do they want, and actually filling that space for them. So, now all of those are exciting opportunities um, as well. And we know things will change; nothing will ever stay as it was, and nothing will go back to what it was. But you know, those are all opportunities for us. So,
2: mm. so now we'll move on to the bonus round. Uh, the uh, I feel a bit nervous about this yes, round. this, this round is the so. question <laughs> just to kind of lighten it up and uh, and have a bit of fun. Now we have a few questions here. I'm going to. Sarah and I will just trade off. I'm going to swap out the first one for another one I just thought of as you. Oh, partner.
0: okay. <laughs>
2: so, <clears throat> let's skip that one. Um, last week I had my two little boys up here, and we stayed at Sky City, and we were they were mesmerized by these guys sliding down and jumping off the tower. Does that something? The bungee that, jump. The bungee jump. Have you done that? I haven't done
0: the bungee jump <laughs> off Sky Tower. <laughs> so i i bungee jump for me is probably not what no, we'll go yep. but i have scheduled to go the walk around the outside of the tower so uh yeah yeah, yeah. have you bungee jumped no, no no okay <laughs> so I'll, maybe i should do that with you then <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <maybe> <laughs> so team, it's not a
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. mm. Uh what's your favorite movie or tv show
0: I'm a Sopranos person. I have watched that box series so many times, and I truly believe that if I owned an Italian meat market, no one would cross me. So, yeah.
2: Now, one thing we've been asking, because of, that's not happening as much now, but during lockdown, there was uh, a lot of focus on kind of supporting local businesses. And yeah. the, is there anyone where you live or near where you work mm. that, that you like to support locally, a, a business?
0: I love that question. It's it's so It was so hard during lockdown because nothing was open, and yeah, I was yeah. you. <laughs> But um, there's a little Vietnamese place right opposite my apartment called Saigon's and, and I have fantastic memories of Vietnam and the food in there is traditional. But what's even more special as I was talking to the owner and he told me that his parents um, immigrated to New Zealand under a sponsorship program and the family that sponsored them is from my hometown of Tekawiri. So it's calmer for me to meet them and see how well they've done. And I thought that was fantastic. So, yes, I support them right through. Very cool. Mm -hmm.
1: And last but not least, I mean, you've lived all over the world. Now that things are opening up again, do you
0: have any travel plans? Uh, Travel. So I've been to 84 countries. (laughs) Not that I'm overselling that point. So before COVID, um, we were planning, uh, my husband and I were planning to take our children to the Bahamas in Cuba because my husband and I eloped there 25 years ago. So we thought we would show them that, but of course COVID happened. So we still plan to do it, but it might be the 28th wedding anniversary, not the 25th. But that is on the cards. Um, and because we've been away from New Zealand for so for so long, there's our big backyard here, particularly the South Pacific Islands, and that we will be exploring. So awesome.
2: Well, Julie, thank you so much. That was um, great to chat with you and learn more about uh, yourself and Sky City. Um, just a disclaimer here, if you or more information, if you'd like to learn more about Sky City, make sure to check out their website at skycityentertainmentgroup.com, or you can go on NZX's website under the ticker SKC. Uh, and if you have any questions that we didn't ask, you can uh, send an email to podcast at nzx.com. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Ken, Julie, appreciate the time, and um,
3: thank you.
0: Namahe Thank you very much. Thank you.
3: The information provided in this podcast is a guide and is intended for general information purposes only. The information is not investment advice. The information should not be relied upon as a substitute for detailed advice from a professional advisor. The podcast may contain opinions or forward-looking statements and actual results may vary from what is expressed in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the presenter or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of NZX. NZX Limited is not liable for any loss suffered through relying on the information in this podcast. NZX makes no warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information in this podcast. All intellectual property rights in the content of this podcast are owned or used under license by NZX and NZX's written consent is required to use, redistribute or reproduce the content or use it to create other works.